All right, fellas, welcome into the committed community. We got an industry leader call today with Myson Jones. Welcome in, Myson. Appreciate you What's stopping up? by. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. We're going to use this too as a podcast. Uh, I've been a guest on Myson's podcast quite a couple of times, a few times. And today's call, really, we had this conversation off camera with Myson is something that the community and the industry really has a lot of, which is they have an incredible amount of basketball content, drills, philosophies. But what I found from running committed to the craft and committed to the gospel and just getting to know a lot of people, very similar to what Myson does, which is they lack the other skills that hold them back, you know, professionalism, business systems, all of those different things. So what we're going to talk about today is some common mistakes that we've come across. Myson has a lot of experience in that. And then also we're going to talk about just kind of his journey from there. So my, Myson, welcome, man. Why don't you give him a little background about kind of what you do and uh, where you're from? Uh, so I grew up, played basketball. Of course, I went to uh, Division II here in, in South Carolina had a pretty good career, got into corporate, didn't didn't like it as much as I thought, was making 50 cold calls an hour, uh, helped the basketball trainer out with trying to grow his business while we were working on a software, which we may or may not talk about, and realized that, man, that's, that's a lot of cash for what he just did. I believe I can do the same thing. So while trying to, to scale the software, needed that cash from a service-based business that it allows. And honestly started to fall in love with it and wanted to do both. And now I've been helping basketball trainers grow their businesses while running my own so that I have credibility. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. And, you know, I, th I think too, what's really cool with, with you, Myson is I, I would love to know, starting out, where did you develop this mindset where you were trying to bring value, value to a community at home, which I, what I've seen, is most people are just trying to survive. You know, they're trying to mm -hmm. grow their own business. They're trying to create their own partnerships. You've taken it upon yourself to reach out within the basketball community and create resources and software. <clears throat> and you've made appearances at events and you've let other people, you've created a platform, Facebook pages to give other people a voice on your platform. Where does that mindset, what I would call an abundant mindset, come from? Uh, I got the information from experience and mainly from other people teaching me, and I wanted to give it. Uh, I learned it from them, from books, from others, and it honestly changed my changed my life, changed the business's structure. Like the first year where I got this information, uh, you know, we we increased our profitability one hundred and eighteen percent. And once you start seeing real growth like that and tangible information actually make a change, uh, I genuinely wanted to help other people who were willing to make those adjustments and who wanted to make this full time. So uh, I got it first and I wanted to give it afterwards. What, could you go back to maybe the beginning of before we get into this whole list later on of common mistakes you're seeing amongst basketball programs or trainers? from a business standpoint, something you were doing in the beginning that it changed when you got to see what other people more successful than you were doing? Is there anything that really stands out like, hey, man, here's a story or something I had to learn the hard way in the very beginning? It, it kind of cut out 
when you were talking, but well, I think I heard something I was doing that wasn't working in the beginning, but I changed and is helping me now. Yeah, something that okay. you struggled with in the beginning, and then you saw someone else doing it, and you changed for the better. Um, I think I didn't necessarily see someone else do this, but what was really hurting me in the beginning was not having a a software. So I was taking payments like a lot of trainers do right now, Vimo, Cash App, Zelle, and using different platforms to receive payments, PayPal. And man, I didn't have any books set up. So I couldn't really tell, okay, this person paid me, but how many sessions did they have? And I would have a notebook to try to reconcile. They paid me for this day, but I trained them on this day, but they, they didn't train. So it was it was messed up. I really was spending more time in administratively doing the bookkeeping and making sure people paid me and making sure the appointments were set up than being able to focus on the craft and focus on things like marketing that we should all be doing as as solopreneurs or small business owners or owner operators. So after getting software that helped get a recurring revenue base and help with the scheduling and doing those things for me, um, that's when things really started to take off and I could focus on more things and, and have those tasks that nobody really likes doing, if we can be honest, have them streamlined. What is uh, something you think right away needs to be delegated out? Because when you're in the beginning, we're doing every single task or we're in every single hat. We've got mm -hmm. social media, we're doing payments, we're doing marketing. Uh, we're checking people in at the door. We're trying to sell merch. Um, we're on the court training. So we just do everything by nature. And I think that brings out the hustle in most people. Um, but I had some advice given to me from Gannon Baker, CEO, and he said the first thing that he would have done, he learned seven years too late, was to hire an admin to handle the emails, to handle the messages. And he said he learned it seven years too late. I think I learned it four years too late. Um, yeah. But that was probably the first hire was have an admin where you could delegate out those tasks that really hold you down, like you mentioned. Um, would you agree with that? Or is there, is there someone else or some other tasks that you would delegate out in the very beginning? I I completely agree. An admin who can be customer facing, that can answer emails, that can handle scheduling, that can refund payments, that can do those things that like literally if I could start over again, I would I would do that stuff. Right. Like I would I would try to do that stuff if I needed to to save money and write down every single thing that I was doing that I just I should not be doing right. I, I hated doing that, sucked my energy away. And I would find somebody who could do those things. And a lot of us sometimes we, I think was Tony Robbins say, we don't lack resources, we lack resourcefulness. So finding someone who is in our network that maybe is a parent who you can barter services with or somebody that would be willing to to do those those activities for you. But I, I agree with Gannon, it would be hiring an admin for sure. Do you feel like um, once you hire that admin and you have those tasks off of you, that that is something that frees up a lot of time for you? And that is that's kind of a separating factor is your time valuing your time. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, I quantified it and it's easy through the software that we use. So I, I've used Upwork and honestly, one of the best hires ever has been through Upwork. It's uh, our scheduling admin. She is she is amazing. 
and I've saved about a thousand since last year, 1,500, I'm sorry, two years ago, 1,500 hours at least is what I've saved from emailing clients back, scheduling appointments and doing all those other admin tasks. So you can imagine, you know, whatever you value your time at or just having your time in general, money, monetarily or not, having 1,500 hours back of your time doing something else than other than admin tasks is, is pretty special. So you've been connected with a lot of basketball coaches and trainers of all levels, people that are just getting in and then people that we would consider high level, NBA level. Um, and you spoke at committed to the craft year one. Um, maybe we can work something out with year three. We're going to be closer your way in year three. But okay. <laughs> what what about specific coaches or trainers that stand out to you? Is there any one or two that I think with you interviewing different people, getting to know different people within the industry that really stand out and they're doing something really well at a high level to you. And, and you want me to drop names? Oh yeah. 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 Just oh. that they've taught you something or you could, people can learn from. Got it. Um, I can't, I can't not mention Sean Hardiman. Can't not mention, uh, Karan God when you, um, J Law, I mean, he's been he's been impactful for sure, and a couple of them are are actually uh, clients of our software of Hoops Institute that are doing really really well. Um, Gabe Masias is doing doing phenomenally, and some of the other ones I don't, I don't want to mention right now that I would because of uh, <laughs> reasons I don't want to tell all of our clientele. But uh, those guys stand out because not only are they good with the social media game. What you see often, man, like there's no correlation between from what I've seen, the guys who train NBA players who have huge businesses and how well they're running their business. Right. I've I've seen guys who train high level players when you can use training relatively and they're the ones who have a facility. But then five weeks or five months, six months later, they're not able to stay in that facility because they didn't manage by the numbers. So I think those guys have shown me. Yeah, you can have a great online base, but you also need to take care of home too, because the revenue or the social currency may feed your ego, but the profitability is what's going to really feed your family. And that is from Bezos Cooley, and that's not my words, but Bezos has a dope, dope quote on on that. But Next one, Myson. When we're talking about big influences, how does that influence you and how you structure your actual program? So take us into a day in the life with you. What are you actually doing within your community, where you're from? Are you focusing on private one-on-one -on -one clientele, small groups? Are you coaching right now? Uh, walk us through kind of what your, your business looks like and your clientele. So this close into the season, we transitioned into fall league. And I'm, I may be different with this. I don't care for teams, honestly. Like, I don't care for the business model of AAU. I don't care for... Uh, the team structure because I don't think it's as from the economic side, I don't think it makes as much sense. I do think it's necessary in terms of the development of the athlete, which there is a, a tough uh, pool, tug and pull there. Uh, but we do have and offer teams. We partner with another AAU program because the biggest cost, which is sometimes the, the lodging and the travel and the tournament fees is significantly reduced because we're actually local. So we have a portion of that as like a game enhancement training session, a practice that I'm, I'm helping out with. But the large 
portion of our, our training is, is through group training. Um, it's actually 56% of our revenue and 26% of our revenue is, uh, the private training as well. And some of that is camps, clinics. So the training side has those things, but right now is a little different because of the fall league programs that help athletes prepare for the season. What's your thought process on private training versus group training? If you're, if that, from a business model standpoint, I think almost 90%, if not more of basketball trainers, they get into it and they get immediately into the one-on-one clientele because that's all they got and might mm-hmm. not be as efficient with your gym time, depending on if you're renting, if you're owning, whatever that might be. What's your, can you speak on that as far as if you could go back or you would do things differently or what you've learned clientele that is private one-on-one versus doing groups? I think at some point, at some level, we're all going to be making a poor economic decision on doing one-on-ones versus group training sessions. It's just how much of a, a hit are we taking, right? Because when we get the group classes to a certain size, it's just not going to make, it usually doesn't make sense to have a one-on-one session. Now, what I see often is guys may have a gym rental that's $30 an hour, but they're only charging $35 for their group session. And they only have capacity for one-on-one rather than maybe doubling up and having two people in that private lesson or uh, personalized training or whatever your terminology of it is and whatever those terms are, having the, uh, I guess the, the gross profit margin be as high as possible makes sense. So if you have a group session and you have 10 athletes, they pay $25 per, that's $250. But if you have a one-on-one in exchange for that, that's anything less than it, then you're not making, always making a great financial decision, which I think we all do again, but it's just how much of a hit are we able and willing to take based on those economics. And it may not make sense to do that with the group session either. Like something that we're going through too, I I like to have a certain ratio with our coaches. So I'd rather have one coach for every six to eight athletes. At some point when you add an extra coach, no matter how many athletes you have, the economics of scale don't make sense. So it it really does just depend, man. And I think we would do better by having an understanding of what's going on just so that we can be in the know of whether we're taking a hit or whether we're doing something that's actually fruitful for our businesses. Yeah, I think that brings a broader conversation of quality versus quantity and mm-hmm. what impact you kind of want to have and then that leads into my next question, which is staff. Probably the main question mm-hmm. that I get for people, uh, I'll have coaches that come in and we'll, they'll kind of shadow what we do, or I'll have players that travel in. And one of the main comments that I always get is, how do you have such an amazing staff? I've got anywhere between six to eight guys that are former college and pro, but they're phenomenal with families, kids. Obviously, they had the basketball resume, looked the part, great teaching, great at connecting with kids. So I always say from that standpoint, I'm, I'm very fortunate, super fortunate, but I was intentional about going out and finding these guys to partner over time. There's very few basketball programs or trainers that I've seen have the ability to build a staff for one reason or the other. But for me, it was the reason why I was able to keep doing the one-on-one sessions. Because I could have a gym and for us, I'll have four to six or seven private sessions going on at the same time in the gym. 
because I have four to five coaches and trainers in the gym at one time, and I was able to kind of scale up. Do you have any structure where you're using other coaches or hiring staff right now? Absolutely. And that's the, man, like you said, it's a broader topic. And for sure, I'm sure you could go for the quantity approach and have so many athletes in there and be recruiting to hire other trainers to help you to to match that quantity. It's almost like what these big tech companies are doing, like Google's and, and Amazon's and Microsoft's. Like, if you're in the news reading it, man, they're they're having huge layoffs because they speculated when there was COVID and they needed the demand and people are at home, they were hiring like crazy and, and now they're they're dropping them off because the economy's crazy and, and things have stabilized. Like but all that being said, man, I, I try to I try to find, like you said, a good fit. There's like a profile of the type of teammate you know you want. And I don't know what the reasons why other trainers may not be able to have teammates. I think part of it is is the name of the business. Like if you have your, your training business as your personal name, it may be a little bit more challenging to get somebody who is going to wear your name. Uh, I think that may be one thing. Uh, I think another thing is it goes back to the economics of it, man. Like you may not have the, the finances or the resources or be charging enough to pay that person who is is requiring a certain price point. I know for us, I just I have a conversation with somebody and I have a template. I talk to a lawyer and man, if you could get a lawyer who you has a son, a daughter that you can train, I think one of the best things that that can happen, right? Otherwise, you're going to be paying two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars an hour to talk to this to this lawyer to get some templates you might have been able to find online. All that being said, after talking to this lawyer a few years back and training his son. He gave me a, a template for independent contractor agreements that I've been using and tweaking. And now it's more of a, a systemized, templated process to say, hey, here's the deal. Here's the arrangement. And most of the conversations around building the relationship with that person. And then when we get to the brass tax, it's quick. I have the agreement. I have the, the revenue share or whatever the agreement is with that trainer. And it helps to, to build the team. Um, and back to what we talked about. Now you have an admin who can help schedule that person out for those sessions. So you don't have to focus on anything, but making sure that that person can continue to stay on staff and important to them and making sure that you have business coming in, which is our number one goal. Um, I would say, yes. So we do have staff. Uh, we're, we're building the team, growing the team. The biggest challenge I've always had, man, is these are part-time teammates. You know, I, I've always wanted to have full-time teammates, but the economics of the basketball training have made it tough to make these these people full time. Uh, we got some thoughts on how to make that happen, but I'm, I'm rambling right now, man. Uh, yes, to answer your question, we do have staff, and we do try to make sure that they are available for private training and for group training. All right, you said two things there that really stood out to me. Number one, this this independent contract. Do you have that? format do you actually have that layout and you just tweaked it a little bit yeah yeah it's a it's a one that this he was he's a contract lawyer he's an employment lawyer so i had a conversation with him and he said hey man don't just drawing up these rudy pool contracts and sending it to people that won't stand up in court you need to make sure you have this on file and it needs to say these types of things and he sent it to me and now that's what I've been using for anybody who's going to be helping out with sales, anybody who's going to be helping out with uh, training. It's here's the contract agreement. 
here's our terms. I just have to change like, okay, this schedule, this payout, this payment frequency, and those things that I know I can change without really messing with any of the more important substance of the, the document itself. Myson, would you be willing to share that with us within the community after after this? I can connect you with Ryan. Sure. Okay. There you go. My man. That's one. Two, you brought up the topic of your name on the business. Um, that is a topic. It's very interesting you said that because I attribute a lot of our growth to the fact that I took my name off of the program, the business, um, whether it's um, doing business as or the actual legal name, because mm -hmm. I felt like there was no way to really grow something behind just my name. And what I've noticed is almost every basketball training or program builds their program after their own name. Not all, but most is what I realized and it's very difficult, like, for instance, the reason why it's not called Morrison Basketball Academy, that was my first. And I switched it over to Hoops for Christ because I realized these gifted men are willing to get behind a mission, not behind one person. And I found that interesting also with someone like Phil Handy, you know, being at his 94 feet event, I, he brought his whole team out at the end and introduced them. He's got like 15 people working with him. And a couple of them are like NBA coaches that are literally working underneath him. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that he could have grew that staff if it was just Phil Handy basketball. I think it's unique that it's 94 feet. You know what I mean? So I don't know if you right. want to go a little deeper into that topic before we move on. But for me, what I found is there's no way possible I could have grew our program um, our business, if it was named just after me, because I've got six to eight guys that are just as gifted and could be on their own. And here's the thing. <clears throat> everybody has an ego. So what I found right. is the autonomy of a basketball trainer is we don't want to work for somebody. That's the autonomy of us. We want to be our own boss, make our own schedule until we realize we just created an even harder job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so then we realize, no, I actually, I can't do this alone. I need other gifted people. Well, they don't necessarily want to work for you because they have their own ambitions, dreams, brand, and desires. Um, any thoughts on that, Myson? Have you come across that? Yeah, I, I have. And I know a couple of basketball trainers who, and look, some of them have a bat, a business name that is not, their personal name and mm -hmm. they, they aren't able to hire teammates. Some of them do have businesses that are under their personal name and they still just can't hire many teammates. Um, and I think it, it truthfully, it really goes down to how good of a leader and a manager are you? But to your point and to our point, yeah, man, we all have egos and we want to have the autonomy not to work for someone else. We want to work with someone else. And honestly, man, your name better be a pretty big name. You better carry a lot of weight, in my opinion, for you to be able to to recruit the people that you want to be teammates with or you want to be teammates with, man. I, I don't have much more substance on, on this topic. It's just what I've seen. But I, I, I don't think I think everybody has an ego and it is on a spectrum. Some of them um, 
don't have teammates because of who they are. Simple as, right? And I think you do recruit who you are. You you, you attract who you are. Uh, but some of them just don't have them because they just don't know how to build a team and, and how to recruit other people. So I think if you have both of those working for you, you have the best chance of getting people who want to work under something that is bigger than themselves. Definitely. I'd agree. And I would just group that into maybe common mistakes or things you've learned. Let's go ahead and dive into your list of maybe common mistakes you're seeing basketball trainers, programs, small business owners, and, and maybe we can just chat back and forth on those. What is what is your list that you have? I think, I, and I'll go one by one if we can. I think the first one is no follow-up. It's it, When I say no follow-up, I mean with teammates, I mean with parents, I mean with athletes, I mean with not being impeccable with our word. I, I haven't read this book in a while. I need to actually read it again. It's called The Four Agreements. And the first one is be impeccable with your word. And basically to me, the synonym for that is credibility. So if we don't have credibility, not just what's our resume for playing on the court, more so of if we say we're going to do something, do we actually do it? Do we actually back it up? And I think not following up with, and for me, even like saying, I would send this, this agreement with you. I was so glad you said Ryan would reach out to me because I didn't want to have the onus on me to reach out. And I might have not done what I said I was going to do, you know? Um, but I think a lot of us don't have the credibility to do what we say we're going to do. And it impacts us in sales primarily because we say we'll reach out to somebody about certain details, but we never reach out. We always ask for more leads, but we don't honor and do right by the leads that we actually have in the first place in our pipeline. So I think to me, that's the number one thing. And sometimes it's a system issue. It's not a personality flaw. It's not a character flaw. It's a lack of being able to have the structure around what you need to respond to that person, i.e. having a CRM, like having a contact database where you know who you can call on versus having your your phone, uh, email, Google My Business, Instagram. It's, it's hard to do that when you have so many different resources and you're scattered. Yeah, that's what, so we say disorganization, lack of professionalism, maybe those two things go into it. It's interesting you said that I'm I'm working in the nonprofit realm right now and I'm working with a gentleman who has fundraised over 1.5 billion in his career for churches charities and one of the first things that he said with the people that is he's helped raise 40 to 80 million is that they were excellent in their ability to contact and follow up they had a system in place a lot of people just are sloppy with the follow-up. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, what else you got? And, you know, and before we transition to the next one, it's, it's amazing. I'm glad you have that antidote too, because some of these skills that help us run a $300,000, $500,000 business will, or, or lower, like some of those skills that we need to work on, they are the same skills that somebody who's raising 1.5 billion are talking about too. Right. So it's like the, the skill is agnostic towards the success or the, the revenue um, of the business, uh, if that makes sense. But the next one would be the lack of having a recurring revenue base. Hmm. That's a good one. Go into that. Man, it's hard if you don't have anything that's predictable. So if you don't know what's coming in next month and to be honest, even sometimes like it's tough to predict what revenue is coming in, even if you do have a recurring revenue system set up. So 
in the very beginning, I took Venmo, I took Cash App, I took PayPal. Now it's you have to go to the website and you have to pay on the website. Uh, and then I know and you know every single month on the same day, you're going to get billed this same rate. So you can count on that money being there. But when you take payments through Cash App, Zelle and these other uh, options, which makes it convenient, it's just hard to build a business that you can rely on if you don't have that setup and that structure. Okay, here we go. A little transparency. I love doing this stuff. I'm going to share one of my big mistakes that I made. Mm -hmm. So there was disorganization. The good thing is, is I'm selling sessions and packages hand over fist. So that's the good part. Problem is, is I right. have no idea what number of session they're on. Let's say they're buying a package of 10 <laughs> sessions, right? So I'm just right. trusting them. I'm not keeping up with it, but I'm, I'm turning over package after package, but my overhead continues to increase. So let me give mm -hmm. my guy on this call, my business partner, Ryan is flowers. He comes in through Shopify, creates basically an entire membership based model. And so now I know here's the key, not only that the money's going to come in, I can project forward how much money we're making this month, this quarter, and it just helps me get a little more organized. So we move mm -hmm. everybody onto this memberships and packages. So we know, okay, we can count on 15,000 coming in this month, 20, 25, whatever it is. And there's one client that I didn't move over because they've been with me for years. I kept them on cash app payments. Mm -hmm. And I'm busy, man. You know, we, we're busy, man. We got podcasts. I got family. I've got conferences. I got this community. I got all kinds of stuff going on. I'm just trusting mm -hmm. this guy sending that cash app every time he shows up. <laughs> so I go back and check randomly, dude. Guess how long it was since he sent the payment? A year. Two and a half years, bro. Oh. You want to guess how much money that was he owed me? Let's just take a guess. I'm just being 100 right now. Guess how much money he, he owed, owed you. Four, he owed you five grand. It was it was about a little over 3,000. A little over 3,000. And that was me cutting him a deal on a discount. And so I don't think it was malicious, but I, you know how that goes. Who knows? The point is, is yo, you're in the hoe. Now, most people can't just cut a check like that. This guy couldn't, obviously. So I'm trying to set up payments with them. And I'm literally, bro, texting this guy because I don't want to be that guy. I'm not trying to text you for you to ghost me or run for money. Now, he's been sending a little here, a little there. But, dude, that's no way to live. Elections. Hey, I'm a, I'm. <laughs> I got to put on my headset. I'm a collection agency. This this <laughs> this call is being recorded right now. Hey. <laughs> so I cut him a deal, bro. I cut I cut the payment basically in half. I told him a collections, bro, and he's like, okay, I can send you 200 every what so often. So and then I cut him a deal, like, hey man, if you can pay this amount, it's cool because I'm trying to I'm trying to get in a facility. Can you pay this amount? And I'll call it a deal. He's like, no, I don't got it. I was like, all right, we'll just keep sending the payments then, man. So, <laughs> and that's, and look, that's 3,000 or 1,500. Imagine what other people are doing and what's happening to them without any kind of membership base set up. Yeah, I'm just <clears throat> being 100, man. This might be clipped up and put on Instagram, but don't, 
make that mistake. Listen to what Meissen said. We got to get on a recurring base revenue, some kind of model that does that. Uh, that was beautiful, Meissen. Uh, what's the next one? Unless you have more thoughts on this. Uh, no, no more, no more thoughts. Probably can come back to it if, if it comes up again. But I, I would say using we kind of talked about this using software to be more efficient with scheduling and recurring processes so not just payments but recurring processes that we do over and over and over again like scheduling a certain person for a certain time uh like contacting certain people reaching out to them so using software like a, a crm which is a client relationship management system that allows you to be organized and say, hey, I need to reach out to this person who just came for their free assessment. I need to reach out to this person who said they were going to start with me in the next three weeks or after their season end. It's having a software that has a calendar so you can tell people, hey, instead of me scheduling you, here's where you can go. Here's the link. Go schedule your own training sessions so that we can get into the gym and then we can actually attribute how many sessions you've come to out of this package a software that you can check people in to say, okay, this person didn't sign up, but they're here today. Let me make sure that I actually have this documented so that I can go back and say, hey, your kid hasn't been improving. This might be the only basketball piece that we talk about on this <laughs> this session, but you know, no, your kid hasn't been improving because he's only come to one session out of the, the eight that you paid for. So what do you want me to do? Are they practicing at home? Uh, and it may go back to those comments. Like just now, man, I, I'm getting a message from my admin assistant from a, a, a parent who's saying, I thought we had four sessions per month when in actuality it's, it's three sessions per month. But now we can go back and say, well, you had your three sessions already. And here's what our agreement said in the beginning through our text mm -hmm. messages. So having, having things reduced to writing and having those systems that help us to be more efficient and effective with recurring processes. Great point. I have found that having the fine print on the front end saves a lot of the issues because there are people mm -hmm. that just forget. There's people that misunderstood and there are people right. that will try to take advantage of you. They will always try to take advantage of you or the system. So being able to right. reference back for me, because then the fine print becomes better and better as you create more products, mm -hmm. more packages, things like that. Uh, do you recommend any kind of software or something that they can go to? Sorry, do I recommend, what is it exactly? Uh, any kind of software or program or app that they can use to help with that. Man, you know, I got to go with Hoops Institute. You know, that's our that's mm -hmm. our software. Um, we're, we're working to help basketball trainers to be better businessmen and better businesswomen. So definitely check out Hoops Institute. Um, different people have different needs, right? So I think what's to use the most commonly is the app that's going to help us text clients from our non-personal number. It helps them send out mass messages, mass emails, uh, which the communication piece is important. The calendar piece is important to make sure you can schedule your your sessions and the currency piece, being able to actually receive payments online. So I would say Hoops Institute, the first one to check out. Um, scheduling wise, if you just need a scheduling software, to me, Acuity is the, 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 the best when it comes to just focusing on one thing and you need somebody that can help you with scheduling. I definitely would check out. Acuity too, but those are my my top two softwares. Uh, where could they find the Hoops Institute? How, how do they find that uh, software? Is it an app? Is it a website? Website hoopsinstitute.com. Okay, cool. All right, what else you got? What's the next one? I would say manage by the numbers. So uh, tracking what you value. So what we've been doing since 
2002, a little bit beforehand, is every single week I have a teammate who tracks, here's how many active trainees we have in elementary, middle school, high school, private training, um, and here's how many have dropped off every single week. So I'm able to look at a report and say, man, we lost five trainees, but we gained six. Okay, why are we losing so many trainees right now? Is it swimming? Is it another sport? Are they traveling? Um, did they make their basketball team? And we can plan for those things uh, in the future. So I would say manage by the numbers. And people care about different numbers. Like some people may care about how many potential clients they have in the pipeline, right? Like I, in, in for Hoops Institute, for example, there's a CRM and it tells you how much, how much, I guess, and when I wasn't working in corporate, they called it uh, pitch for dollars, dial for dollars, right? So you can see I've got $5,000 in this pipeline of people. If a package is worth $100 per month, I've got 50 people in this pipeline. There's $5,000 right there that I could be calling out on to make sure I need to get before next month. So if, whatever your numbers are, it's in managing by those numbers and having a day. Like today, when you called me, it's it's Finance Friday for me today. So I'm looking at our numbers that matter and making sure that we're on the right track. Uh, not perfect with it, to be honest, man. Like, cause you know, around this time of year, you've got kids, mainly trainees who are coming, uh, wanting for advertising sponsorships to put stuff on their walls for banners and everything. And I'm going to spend more than what's in our budget on these advertising uh, banners because I want to support the community. I want to support these kids who've already shown that they trust us with their development too. So um, not perfect with it, but I think it's worth, trainers starting to do. Yeah, great point. Uh, knowing your numbers and then also knowing where you're at in your quarter or your time of year or your seasons. Basketball, you know, moves in different seasons. There's AAU spring season. There's the summer, obviously, with camps. And then, of course, right now we would consider in, in the basketball training industry, this we're moving into a slower season mm -hmm. with school ball ramping up. Is there anything that you try to do where you transition from the fall, which might be like, uh, you know, always, always laugh when you make these reels about, you know, a parent wants you to do a miracle in one week before their tryout and they haven't been training all summer. Uh, so you get that heavy time where people are coming in trying to get these last second tryouts. I got text messaging, Hey, they got a tryout next week and they come in. And so once you get through this season and you're going into the winter where it slows down, is there anything that you do for your business uh, during that season? I would say camps and clinics are huge. You know, even if you don't make up for the hit through groups, through privates, through other, other training, maybe you train homeschool athletes, maybe you go on site to high schools, Maybe you pick up another job. I don't know. Uh, I would say camps and clinics are very important to make up for for those hits. Anytime kids are are out of school for a teacher professional day or a holiday, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's worthwhile to try to have some type of programming there for sure. Um, that would be first. Second would be preparing or digging your well before you're thirsty, which we haven't done a great job with this year because we're going to actually reduce the number of hours that we're training. But I would say producing a lot of content around that age group you want to recruit. So primarily it may be elementary school students. It may be uh, tweens that between that eight and 12 year old range. It may be even uh, kids who didn't make their team 
who want to eventually make their teams for next year. Uh, maybe you do teams in the wintertime. I, I don't know. But finding that niche that you can really start to focus on early and digging your well before you're thirsty is important too. Uh, that's great. I, I would add to that for, for me personally, just to bring value to coaches and trainers. You know, my situation is mm -hmm. a little different because I, I have the pressure of a payroll and a staff and it's both business and it's personal for personal wise is I consider all of our coaches and trainers like my brothers. So I want to see them do well. I don't want to cut hours by any means, but that comes with an added pressure of you have to deliver with the programs and your numbers and everything mm -hmm. else. And what I found that's helped um, is for me, the homeschool market, if, if there's anyone listening to this and they, they haven't, dived into it. I had my own homeschool program for about five years. And now I focus primarily on just training. And the unique aspect of that is usually one or two days out of the week, homeschool players and families can train during the daytime. And mm -hmm. so you could actually train a whole program. I'm actually leaving here. And in one hour and 15 minutes, we're going to train uh, close to 15 homeschool teams that are combined into skill sessions that we created a we have a, a five month contract. So over the next five months, every week, wow. we're going to be training, you know, anywhere between 90 and 120 homeschool players broken up into groups. And that's just a contract that we set up. Now that took probably about 12 months of building a relationship to get to that point. But like I mm -hmm. said, I used to, I used to run a whole homeschool program and that got me through the winners always because they were paying mm -hmm a weekly or a monthly fee. So that's something else I would add is if you're in any kind of market, I think you would be surprised at how many people are moving into homeschool, especially post COVID um, with the mess that a lot of public school systems are in. A lot of people have moved into the homeschool market. So I would check into that as well. Um, Myson, do you have another? Do you have people who are competing against each other in those homeschool co-ops? Are they, are you training rivals? rival schools and they're okay with that because the rate is good. The relationship is great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Here's something else. I'll, I'll give this out. I haven't even done this. I'm going to give this out. Uh, working <laughs> with so many homeschool families, the way they get their PE credits is they have to do some kind of extracurricular physical activity. It could be anything. So hypothetically mm -hmm. you could run a zoom group for all the homeschool people in your area or your state, and obviously if you were big enough nationally, they could get for a small fee because they pay for everything out of pocket because it's not a school funded by the government or a private school. They would pay for your physical education credit, which would be basketball training or volleyball mm -hmm. or soccer training for homeschool. So that's something I'm diving in is can I run the biggest extracurricular activity through basketball training and can i have a basketball academy set up for just homeschool kids rivals and everything so i actually did that six years ago man i had a homeschool academy mm -hmm. on two courts i had all volleyball players and on two courts i had all basketball players they paid a fee to come in on fridays from 12 p.m to 2 p.m when other kids are in school we did we did one hour of training and one hour of playing and we had. Do you mind sharing what that fee is, man? 
you got 15 teams. Like, I'm sure it doesn't have to be very high, but do you, are you oh, for this contract? Yeah. Well, not, not the total okay. revenue from it, but like just what it would break down to like each individual athlete per se, like what would they oh, be charging? Sauce right now. Okay. I'll give it to you right here. Here we go. <laughs> so with homeschool kids, you're not, it's not the LA Lakers. Okay. Every one of these kids right. need to be in the training and you know how this is. The kids that need to be training, don't train. The kids that are dedicated mm -hmm. are the ones that show up. It's so flipped. So what I did was say, look, I'm not even going to come in here and try to hustle one family at a time. Either they're all in it or they're not in it. Mm -hmm. So I need one rounded out fee. Let's come up with a fee. So that's what I did. Now, what I ended up negotiating was every middle school and high school player automatically is in this and they're going to pay for it, which was 75 kids. Got so it. the rest of them, I said, the elementary kids. They can pay individually. Well, guess what? I showed up at a church in front of 150 families and I shot my shot, made my pitch. And, you know, it's faith based, too. So I'm giving my testimony, my background. Well, I picked up another 25 kids. So we're at right around 100. And for me, what I ended up doing was making this fee ridiculously small. So for the season, I, it depends on what it is. It's 100 to 100 and 25 per child and mm. then can't say no so here's the key though now i pick up all of their data their family their cell phone number their email now i'm going to create an upsell into our youth leagues an upsell into training packages mm. beyond this but i've got them for the next 16 weeks you know what i mean so that's what for I sure. did with that. And I rounded out the fee for um, the middle school and high school players. So all that automatically came out of their budget. But here's how I pitched it. And you guys can steal this. Most programs are run by parents. Parents run youth, youth sports. We like, to give, we like to give a lot of trouble to dad coaches. But who's going to coach them if a dad doesn't coach them? Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, like, the, the parents right. have to coach. So. Use that to your advantage. It's not Phil Handy coaching these homeschool teams or these youth teams here. Okay. This is a dad or a volunteer parent or a mom, whoever it is. They're trying to herd cattle. They're just hmm. trying to get what they need to get done in their little one hour of practice, you know, because you always have that parent that thinks they can run the triangle offense with third graders. And then you have that parent <laughs> that just volunteered and they said, you know what? I'm just. I'm just here to have fun and be here with my kids. They're not mm. here to develop. So what I say is, instead of having Susie and Lucy trying to teach them a left-handed layup for 45 minutes and the rest of them, you get nothing accomplished. Give me your kids. I'm going to save you time. I'm going to develop them. I'm going to let you focus on the team, not the individual. Okay. And I'm going to take less stress off of you. You're a parent volunteer. You don't need to be trying to develop them. You don't need to be out there like Gannon Baker. What you need to do is focus on the team, figure out if you can run one or two plays the right way by the end of the season, and just have fun with them. Let me develop them, give them to an actual professional or group of former college and pros, and we'll develop them so that when you get them, you could even cut your practice shorter because you ain't got to do the layup lines. You don't have to do the ball handling. You don't have to do passing. Or, or or footwork. We're going to do that for you. 
just pay us to take that off of your plate. And they were like, that makes total sense. Let's talk. That's how I got that contract. Man, that's a hack. And I, I, I don't want to skip by anybody. Like, man, you spent 12 months developing that relationship. Yeah, that's really five years. Yeah, the last 12 nah. months. We were supposed to do it last year. And mm. uh, they were just a little bit um, overwhelmed because they thought they had five teams and they ended up having, I think, 11 teams. And this year it's 15 teams. So it's only mm. trending upward. Listen, guys, that's one program. My goal is I'm mm. going to try to take over every homeschool program and be there. I want to be the homeschool feel handy is what I'm trying to be. Let me get all these kids that are overlooked, that don't have access. I'm going to come in at a discount and then I'm going to upsell you on the back end. I'm going to train your whole program, but you have to give me your whole program, not a few kids. And then I'll discount that dude. I'll discount it 90%. I don't care. doesn't matter to me. I want to pour in, build the relationship because the relationship's more important than the money. Build the relationship. Then I can offer you your serious ones. Maybe 20% of them are serious, but give me 20% of a thousand kids. And then upsell them into our one-on-one -on -one programs, group training, classes, youth leagues. That changes your entire business when you do that. Right. And I think it goes to Khalil's point. I appreciate you sharing that too. Like Khalil asked about balancing the value of experience and growth versus dealing with, you know, your ideal versus non-ideal clients. Like for you and for us, we, and I'll say this, like, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but someone told this to me, and I won't say who it was, but bad basketball makes for good business. And and even the Bible, Jesus is like, if if the sick are the ones that need a doctor, right? So like if you got somebody who is not really good at basketball, but they're willing to work hard, I think that fits a lot of our MOs of of who we want to serve, who we want to help out. Um, but for you, maybe you're going to have to filter through a lot of the kids who are just there just to be there for that extracurricular activity, but you will get that 20% in your value ladder who actually do want to be there too. So Kind of like for us too, man. We and when we play, we got to take a lot of uh, shot attempts to be able to get to the quality that we need to make the shots to get those field goal uh, makes. So kind of the same context in in that. But I like the setup, man, and I, and I hope it works great for you. Yeah, Myson, and I appreciate the devotional for basketball coaches and trainers right there, bringing that heat, man. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm gonna land mm. you on this, man. Tell me if you. Yep. If you have anything else you want to add to it, but I really want to know what is your why or your mission with the game of basketball? What is the purpose of this? Um, I was challenged this past summer by a coach. He said, can you give your why in seven seconds or less? And to, hmm. oh, I was ready. My bad. Okay. <laughs> and well, well, here, let me, let me tell you this. Let me close that for you. And that sure. is because um, it was from Rick Bettino. He would only let his assistant coaches speak for seven seconds in their practice. So if they spoke, it better be good and to the point. And so the coach challenged, can you give your why in seven seconds or less? And I said, you know what I thought about? And I go, I can do it in seven words. I use mm. basketball to share the gospel. That's my why. That's why I do what I do. And I would love to hear what is your why with the game? Can't do it in 10 seconds, but I can tell you is to help athletes graduate from the game with the highest degree of fulfillment. So mm. um, I think the fulfillment is what we're all after. 
you know, no matter what, what spirituality, you know, religiosity that people believe in, like we want fulfillment. And I think the game of basketball can be a great catalyst for that, whether you go on to play pro or whether you go on to you know, politics, no matter what your, your field. So it's to help athletes graduate to the highest degree fulfillment from this game. I love that. Um, if anyone has a quick question for Myson, we're going to close this out. We're coming up on an hour right here. But uh, Myson, I want to thank you again, man, and uh, give you your flowers, dude. You're one of the few people I've seen in the industry who continues to pour out time, energy, resources uh, to help other people. Man, and I, I tell you, I got a lot of respect and appreciation for what you do. It's one reason why I think we always circle back around and connect. So just wishing you all the best, man. Thank you again for giving your time for this. Thanks for the chance, the opportunity. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm open for any questions, man, here or afterwards. Uh, but for sure, thank you for the chance to talk. Yes, sir. If I'm, I do one-on-one reach outs if I'm going to an area that may not be as uh, participated in, or people don't participate in as frequently. So I'll do a one-on-one to see if that person can be the evangelist for that area to get more people people in, for sure. And, and side note for those people out there, man, like, especially during the slower times, if you can go to different school districts and look at their calendars and see when they are available, they're usually available during different times. So going to those areas and trying to plug in and tap in could be a good good idea. Uh, I think it's very important. And I always tie it back to the business side. I think it's very important because if you're antiquated and archaic in your teaching, then a lot of athletes may find someone else who is teaching. It doesn't have to be the 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 fancy play that we associate players wanting today, but I think they'll find somebody else who's teaching something that's more modern and, and exactly what they need. Which you know, for for me, you know, we have some teammates and I've seen other coaches who have an antiquated teaching style who don't have the constrained games, small sided games or uh, whatever you want to give it terminology wise. And I think, one, it hinders their advancement and it hinders your results that you can share with other people to get them interested in your program. And two, honestly, man, the athletes can peep it. You know, they'll see the difference. So I do think from a product standpoint, it's important to be up to date with the best, uh, more modern practices that get results for your athletes, for their development and for your your business reputation as well and the results you get. Okay, I appreciate it, Mark. Coach Mark always tuning in from the Philippines, man. Shout out. Hi. Salama, salama. All right, well, uh, that closes up this community call. Myson, thank you again, brother. Appreciate you as always. Make sure you guys check Myson out, um, Hoops Institute, from there. Thank you, man. For sure. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a blessed day, man. Take care.